0: Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina
1: Newsmakers. Our guest this week is a a person who's been with us a number of times before, Patrick Woody, who's the president of the North Carolina Rural uh, Economic Development Center. He was named president of the Rural Center back in October of uh, 2014 and had been actually acting president almost uh, a year before that. So, uh, gosh, you're, you're, you're coming up on a 10 year anniversary. And who said you couldn't hold on to a job?
2: <laughs> well, thanks, Don. I, pre- I appreciate that. Um, it, it, the, the time does fly by, doesn't it?
1: It really does. And let's uh, talk a little bit about why the North Carolina Rural Economic Center was created. And I'll give just a little background and then you can fill in the rest. Uh, early on, the General Assembly and others Uh, realized that North Carolina was developing into sort of a two-state economic situation where we have the highly developed areas like Raleigh-Durham, Greensboro, Charlotte, Greenville to a lesser degree, Asheville, and Wilmington, and then there's the rest of the state. And uh, um, so the state said, we've got to do something to keep moving ahead in these other areas that are not growing quite as fast. And I guess that was the genesis of the idea of the rule. Economic Development Center. Uh, yeah, And you can sort of fill in the gaps of how it was created and whose idea it was and all that sort of thing.
2: Yeah. Back in 1987, a long time ago, 34 years ago, there was a the North Carolina Jobs Commission that was really looking at um, the whole of economic development and what the state was cha- facing at the time at the end of the 80s. Uh, The number one recommendation of that Jobs Commission was that there ought to be an organization in North Carolina that was exclusively focused on rural economic development and dedicated to really improving the quality of life of rural people and rural communities. And the Rural Center was created at that time. We opened our doors in January of of 1987, and we've been uh, pretty true to that and faithful to that mission for 34 years now. Um, and, and we are a statewide organization. We work in 80 of the 100 counties. Those 80 counties have population densities less than 250 per square mile. That's where we focus our time and attention. Uh, North Carolina remains a, a persistently rural state. We've changed incredibly in 34 years. But when it's all said and done, only the state of Texas has more rural people than the state of North Carolina. Um, And North Carolina also uh, has uh, more small towns with less than 10,000 population than any state in the country except for Pennsylvania. Um, So we still really maintain that rural character, even though our urban areas have have really uh, seen some some great economic growth. Um, And and in many ways, the state has changed with uh, us being one of the fastest growing states in the country. But there's still 4.2 million North Carolinians that call rural North Carolina home.
1: And that's a, a sizable amount of the population. It's the population now approaching 11 million. That's right. Uh, but uh, 4.2 is still a lot. And and of course, you know, I, I think even those counties, the other 20 counties, the counties that are in the fast growing areas, realize how important it is uh, to have growth that uh, is... Uh, healthy across the state and yes. uh, uh, North Carolina uh, has always, I think sort of admired these small communities. I came up in one, it, it, it happens to be in one of the rural areas. It came up yeah. in Besterwood city, yeah. which is near Gastonia, uh, which is in one of the 20 counties that it is growing, but nonetheless, it was a small town. Yeah, And I experienced yeah. that and, and uh, loved uh, the, the life of a small town. You came up in uh, Allegheny County yes. and at one time served yep. on the Allegheny County Board of Commissioners. So, uh, you know the, how these smaller counties are faced with a, a unique set of problems that the, the uh, larger areas just don't have.
2: Yeah, I, I do. And I've really uh, had that opportunity. You know, that's home. And, and I had the good fortune of going home and working um, after college um, and, and after school for about, you um, 15 years or so before I came to the rural center and that just, I wouldn't take anything for that uh, because it was a great um, real life, real world education, including serving as a local elected official and understanding that perspective. You know, as as I'll reflect back on more than 20 years in rural economic development now, there are three things that really stand out to me as the really persistent challenges, that, that face rural communities all the time. We're always trying to solve for, for one of uh, those things. The, the first is leadership and just being smaller places. Uh, uh, every, everybody that takes an active role in their community usually wears more than one hat. Uh, you find yourself sitting around the same table with a lot of the same people doing a lot of different things. And so just having a strong leadership base is a, is a challenge. Um, second big thing is, is just the capacity of local government, the capacity of, of local organizations, the capacity of businesses to meet the needs of their customers or their citizens or their, whatever their client base is, uh, is challenging in a way that it's, it, it's not as much so in, in, in urban areas with more density. And then third is just figuring out how you get to the economies of scale that really allow you to do uh, certain activities, such, such as, you know, have a customer base that will support um, a modern water and sewer infrastructure or um, or other things that a community needs. We're always trying to solve for leadership, for capacity, and for economies of scale.
1: Generally speaking, uh, did... Smaller communities and rural areas face uh, fare better or, or worse than the larger communities because of the last 14 months that we've gone through with a rather strange economic situation that we call a pandemic?
2: Yeah, that, that's a great question. And the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, there is, um, uh, it is somewhat uh, of a mixed bag uh, as you look at rural areas around the state. Uh, there are some things that are very true. The pandemic arrived in rural communities later than it did everywhere else. Uh, this is a, a disease that, um, um, lo- a virus that loves density. And so it really came to our cities and our metropolitan areas first. Uh, and it looked for a while like it, it was gonna, it may not show up in all rural places. We We now know that it did. Uh, We had rural counties that had the highest, some of the highest infection rates in the state of North Carolina at times during the last 14 months. We also had some rural counties that were among the lowest uh, in terms of infection rates uh, over the last 14 months. And and so it it was a mixed bag in that regard, but there was no place in rural North Carolina that did not feel uh, the impact uh, of COVID 19 ultimately. Um, And there were some characteristics that um, made communities particularly prone uh, to outbreaks. Uh, We have an older population. So just by virtue, uh, we skew older than the population of the state as a whole. And just by virtue of some of the health challenges that older folks face, um, that more susceptible uh, to getting the virus and worse outcomes uh, when older people did, uh, contracted the virus. We also have, uh, you know, we're a big agriculture state. A lot of that um, ag product is grown in rural North Carolina. We have a lot of food manufacturing, food processing facilities around the state. Those uh, type facilities tend to have a lot of employees in a in a fairly confined space, kind of the perfect recipe for COVID uh, and for replication. And so we saw outbreaks in many of our food processing facilities around, uh, around the state. And, and that was a challenge. Um, it, it, so, uh, we, we also have a healthcare system in terms of our rural health delivery system through our rural hospitals and free clinics and, and community uh, health centers, um, all were, um, not in great economic shape when the pandemic began, largely because of the amount of free um, and charitable health care that 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 those rural uh, health delivery sit that the he- rural health delivery system delivers that it really puts a strain on. And so when the pandemic really started getting worse, this was a, a heavy burden placed on top of an already burdened health care delivery system. So we've had some pretty unique challenges during all of this.
1: One of the things that, that is sort of uh, I'd like to get your comment on this, and that is uh, the uh, population drain from some of these counties. You've got quite a yeah. number of counties that actually lost population in the last census.
2: Yeah, but you know, we we actually have seen some improvement in that. If you had taken, if you had measured it um, four or five years ago. We had about 56 counties in North Carolina that had lost population. Um, all of them rural. By the time the census rolled around in 2020, um, we had uh, we ended up in the decade. We had 42 counties that lost population. They were all rural, uh, but that means there were another 38 counties that didn't lose population. And if you look at the what you, 40, what do you attribute that to? It, um, attribute it to um, primarily the, the impetus for it, I think, began with the 2000 2001 recession uh, and compounded by a slow recovery after that, and then the Great Recession. We lost 350,000 manufacturing jobs in the first 13 years of this new century, and it impacted every single community, uh, urban suburban and rural but the rural communities a lot of them have had had less opportunity to really diversify their economy or shift and replace the jobs that were lost um actually
1: referring to the question of why did some of those counties turn around and actually uh, not lose population what what changed from the 56 down to the what 42 or so
2: Well, we're fortunate uh, that we have uh, many of our rural counties are in areas that are highly attractive to retirees. Uh, We saw people coming for that reason, but not to all parts of the state, not to all rural areas in the state, but certainly uh, parts of the Western Mountains of North Carolina, some of the coastal or near coastal communities in North Carolina saw the benefit of that. We saw some counties that happened to have industry sectors, uh, that, that they could grow. We had, uh, rural counties that are closer in proximity to urban and suburban counties that had that same dynamic. They had an economy that was more integrated into the greater metropolitan economy, and that helped them recover more quickly.
1: One of the great things about having those 20 counties that are growing is it's going to spill over and, uh, North Carolina is a highly desirable state as far as uh, people wanting to retire to, uh, to an area that has four seasons and lots of uh, uh, mountains and seacoast. And so that's good. Our yep. guest is Patrick. Yep. He's the president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center. Uh, and we will be back with another segment. And in that segment, we're going to talk about uh, uh, the small business policy task force that he's working with. Uh, and the Small Business Coalition. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers.
0: I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council.
1: Only you can prevent wildfires.
2: Adopt U.S. Kids presents, what to expect when you're expecting, a teenager, learning the lingo.
1: GOAT, G-O-A-T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time.
0: As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent.
2: Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council.
0: My mother was very familiar with her neighborhood, but one day she stopped at the stop sign and she wasn't even really sure where she was at. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Patrick Woody
1: is our guest here on Carolina Newsmakers. He's the president of the North Carolina Rural and Economic Development Center. He, he uh, has been in that job, as we said, of, of about 10 years, uh, almost 10 years now, but he's been with the uh, Rural Development Center since 2006. So a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge of the problems and opportunities of the 80 counties that uh, are classified as being rural counties here in the state of North Carolina. Uh, And I noticed on my notes here uh, uh, that Jason has given me that you're working on something called the Small Business Policy Task Force. Tell me about that.
2: Yes. Um, So we developed about four years ago a comprehensive uh, policy agenda for rural North Carolina. Then we spent some time traveling around the state, meeting with all of our leadership and really understanding Uh, from that comprehensive agenda, what what were the issues that really bubbled at the top? And one that we identified was the need to have stronger statewide policy and, and a stronger statewide focus on taking care of the businesses that are already in our community and that have the potential to grow and really paying attention to what it takes for them to invest more and hire more. And secondly, How do we build an environment in every community, rural, urban, and suburban, where we are investing in startups and we're trying to ensure the success of startups? Um, And uh, North Carolina has uh, a great reputation in the area of recruitment. Uh, We're good at it. We um, and and we've shown some impressive recent wins that are going to have a big impact. on our state. But but recruiting new businesses in from the outside is only one of the ways that jobs are created. And for rural communities, the small business ecosystem is particularly important. And just a couple of, of statistics about small business in North Carolina. Uh, 75% of all business establishments located in the rural 80 counties, so that's 80 counties of the state, that's 75% of the landmass of North Carolina. 75% of all business establishments employ fewer than 10 people. So small business is big business in those 80 rural counties. If you look at the state as a whole, 95% of all business establishments in this state have fewer than 50 Employees, ninety-five percent. Those ninety-five percent of businesses employ forty-four percent of the total workforce of the state, uh, which is a big number uh, out of eleven uh, out of a state of eleven million people and a workforce that is uh, in well into the millions. And those that that ninety-five percent um, generates about a trillion in annual sales. So that's where a lot of economic activity is occurring. Um, And we really believe that we can do a better job in North Carolina at supporting our small businesses and supporting that ecosystem for uh, new business starts and ensuring the success of those. So we launched back in um, August of 2020, a small business policy task force made up of some great uh, business leaders, small business owners, some key organizations that work with businesses. Uh, we put together a really impressive and diverse uh, group into a task force to take a deep dive into this, um, into this issue. We went around the, st- the state virtually and we held um, small business uh, roundtables in uh, five regions across North Carolina, where we brought small business owners together to really talk about the common challenges. And from that, we really developed, I think, a deep understanding of things we can do as a state to really help improve and and, uh, provide stronger support uh, to small business owners, uh, both those that have been around for a while and those that are just trying to start a small business. We ended up that work with uh, the release of a 20-point policy agenda, and we've been hard at work for the last couple of months with the leadership and members of the General Assembly, really talking about that policy agenda and seeing it gain traction uh, with membership in the in the in, in the General Assembly uh, as we've talked about the importance, how important small businesses are to the economy of North Carolina.
1: I know. You- also started something else called Corner Square Community Capital, which is, uh, as I understand, is a subsidiary of the Rural Center. Tell me about what that does.
2: Yeah, one of the big issues that the policy uh, um, uh, task force grappled with was the issue of access to capital. And one of the things we know is that um, it, it is the growing importance of uh CDFIs. And CDFIs are community development financial institutions. They are certified by U.S. Treasury. They are nonprofits that do small business lending. And, um, and we have about eight CDFIs across the state. The Rural Center actually, we have a wholly owned subsidiary, of the Rural Center called Thread Capital, that is a certified CDFI. And what we know from the numbers over the last decade or so is that we are losing rural bank branches uh, in in some pretty large numbers. If you look at the numbers from the beginning of the century until now, we've lost a number of of branch bank locations. We also have a few uh, communities that are not banked anymore. You know, there isn't a bank present. And we also have seen. Um, As the regulatory framework for banks has changed at the national level, we've seen it increasingly uh, problematic for banks to do lending at the really small end of the scale, which is really addressing those businesses with less than 10 employees and those startups as they're trying to get started. And CDFIs are uh, are the organizations that step into that void. A lot of times with the financial support of banks uh, to fill that void and to do that small business lending at the lower end of the scale and with businesses that are uh, younger and, and less mature in their business cycle. We, start, we launched Corner Square in partnership with Truist Bank, uh, formerly bb and and SunTrust. Uh, BB&T. We have a long history at the Rural Center. We we are fortunate that we've had great uh, corporate partners throughout our 34-year history. None have been more significant than BB&T. Kelly King, the CEO now of Truist Bank, for seven years chaired the board of the North Carolina Rural Center, uh, and under his leadership, we st- we started a number of credit initiatives at the center that really targeted some of the unfilled uh, credit capital gaps that existed for small businesses. Uh, This investment into Corner Square is the first time that the Rural Center has ever looked not only at the CDFI industry within North Carolina, but at the CDFI industry across the 17 state footprint, which is essentially the southeastern United States that Truist Bank serves. And our goal is to build a stronger CDFI industry across the Southeastern United States by really investing in building the capacity of those CDFIs to do more lending, support more small businesses. Uh, It's a historic effort that's really unprecedented in the country. Uh, And it's a great opportunity for us uh, to get to know um, a lot of our counterparts organizations that do a lot of the same kind of work that we do uh, in other southern and eastern uh, states. Uh, And we're really excited about this new work.
1: That's exciting. And and of course, uh, if you're watching the banking industry, and you're as old as I am, I mean, you go back to the 60s, we had savings and loans, we had insurance companies, we had banks, we had uh, uh, small loan companies, and so forth. And through the years, that's all sort of merged That's right. And of course, as it merged, the entities got bigger and they lost interest in the smaller communities because it just wasn't profitable to operate in the smaller communities.
2: Yeah. We we've seen tremendous amount of consolidation. Yeah.
1: Well, that's interesting. So it's called Corner Square Community Capital.
2: That's right. We launched it um, in September of, of 2020. Uh, we now, uh, we've brought on board the first seven CDFIs, uh, including a couple uh, that serve North Carolina, and we're looking at expanding that and growing it into 30 or 40 CDFIs in the next couple of years, um, and really building a stronger CDFI industry across the Southeast. The South um it, compared to other areas of the country, has a, has a weaker CDFI industry. So this is a great investment in the southeastern United States.
1: Well, one of the oh, things right. that's interesting about the borders and state lines and so forth is, uh, for example, I, I used to live in Laurenburg, and of course, Laurenburg is right on the border. And the, the problems yeah. that uh, Scotland County had, Uh, were similar to the problems that Marlborough County had, but it was in another state. Absolutely. So sometimes problems uh, need to be consolidated. This will allow you to do that.
2: That's exactly right. Um, Yeah, that is exactly right.
1: Well, that's interesting. And and, uh, so uh, we'll just see how that develops through the years. Uh, So you started at a rather strange time in September of 20. Not too many people were starting new things at that time.
2: Well, you know, and the reason being, and the real impetus for it was what we were seeing—the impact of COVID—and and we were seeing some studies that were telling us for a first time that we were, ha- you know, we were losing a lot of small businesses. Keenan Flagler Business School did a study that estimated between January of of 2020 and September that we lost 19 um, percent of small businesses uh, in the state had closed their doors. Some of those may reopen, but I think it's true that we we've been through a churning that has been incredibly challenging to to small businesses across the state. Uh, we're fortunate that in that, as the pandemic went on, we went uh, we saw um, um, a marked change in the number of business owners that said they were facing severe consequences for their. Uh, small business to those that said that they faced moderate um, challenges for their small business. So as the pandemic wore on, the severity uh, came down, but it it still is um, pretty staggering what small businesses have faced. And so the timing seemed exactly right. And that's certainly what Truist uh, Bank thought. And they were prepared to really step up and make a big investment in this effort.
1: What is the limit of loan that this uh, type of organization can make? How big a loan or how small a loan will they undertake?
2: What we will be doing is actually purchasing uh, parts of the loans that CDFIs are making. And so by doing so, we are uh, de-risking the CDFIs, making them more profitable and allowing them to turn back around and do more lending. So we actually will be purchasing uh, loans from our participating CDFIs across the Southeast.
1: Interesting. Well, the next topic we wanna take on in the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers with uh, Patrick Woody is the American Rescue Plan Act and how it affects all the cities and towns and counties of these 80 counties that uh, Patrick and his organization are concerned with, and we will do that when we return, uh, and we'll do that right after these messages. No word in the English language is
0: less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis.
1: We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Patrick Woody. He's been with us a number of times in his role with the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center, an organization that uh, deals with uh, assisting the growth and the future of the 80 counties in North Carolina that are not in the real growth areas like Raleigh-Durham, and Greensboro, and Charlotte, and so forth. Uh, and uh, his organization just does so many interesting things. We like to get an update. It's, uh, I think you said what represents seventy-five percent of the of the land area of North Carolina, and four point yes. two million of North Carolina citizens live in those eighty counties, which is, uh, it, you know, that's the that four point two is bigger than uh, what? Gosh, I guess almost uh, thirty states or twenty-five states or so. So uh, that's it is a lot strange. of people. Yeah. That, Well, one of the things that's uh, being discussed right now is the American Rescue Plan. Congress is looking at a lot of discussion going on. Uh, uh, President Biden has proposed a very ambitious program. Uh, Some think that it's probably too ambitious. Others say, well, no, we need to do all this stuff. So we want to talk about it. And uh, in particular, it looks like it would be, on the surface to me, it would look like it would be very helpful to the, the 80 counties that you're working with. Uh, so, tell me uh, just exactly how you're viewing and, and what you're looking at maybe happening as a result of whatever might come out of the American Rescue Plan.
2: Yeah, well, we, we definitely live at a moment in time where there's going to be a level of investment that um, that we are not likely to see perhaps ever again in, in our lifetimes. and. You know, and when I think about rural North Carolina and the economy of rural North Carolina and the infrastructure that serves rural North Carolina, um, that is, that, that, those are the areas where we face our biggest challenges. And the America's uh, Rescue Plan Act, um, which gives money to all 50 states. It also appropriated money to every unit of local government, both town and county regardless of their size. So even our smallest rural municipalities and our smallest rural counties are going to get um, funding, one-time funding from uh, the ARPA um, Act. And it's going to give us really a historic opportunity to decide what we want to invest those dollars in. And so there conversations are going on at the, at the state level. And give me reason to be incredibly optimistic and hopeful about some of the big things we've been working on for years.
1: Yeah, I probably didn't explain this really well because some of this is already uh, passed legislation and some of it is still being considered as far as additional funding. So the, the, some of it is already here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Great. And, and
2: it, all told, the state of North Carolina has about $5.5 billion. Uh, in uh, ARPA dollars that the General Assembly and the governor will, you know, will decide um, how the state is going to spend.
1: Well, it's interesting. And of course, one of the topics that everybody agrees would be most beneficial to uh, rural North Carolina is the expansion of broadband. Yeah, Because as I think we found out during the pandemic, how important broadband is in a number of fronts, education and health being two of them. But uh, uh, broadband, of course, is expensive when you get into, uh, you know, the less populated areas, uh, and yet it is is the one thing that uh, can really stimulate growth.
2: No question about it. And growth will be next to impossible without broadband. And we know that. And the pandemic really did shine an incredibly bright light on a fact that we already knew but didn't perhaps know it quite as well as we've learned it in the last 14 months. And that is how essential broadband infrastructure is to life in the 21st century. Uh, Whether you're trying to work remotely and keep a job and and not not being able to be in the office, or you've got kids that can't be in school and are trying to do remote learning and keep up with their schoolwork at home, Uh, or you're trying to get healthcare services and and do that through uh, telemedicine, um, or you're trying to run a small business and and you need the infrastructure in order to support uh, the remote nature of work during a pandemic. All of those things really did shine a bright light on the, the lack of broadband infrastructure, adequate broadband in many of our rural areas. Uh, and I will also say that there are parts of our urban and suburban counties that are also underserved with rural broadband. So it's not exclusively a rural problem, but certainly as you move to uh, areas of the state with less population, uh, the, the presence of that infrastructure becomes harder and harder. And it, we can never reach um, you know, those less dense places, if we're not willing to subsidize the cost of building it. And so the ARPA, this uh, moment that we're at with these unprecedented level of, of federal dollars come into the state and we get to decide how do we want to invest those really gives us a, a historic opportunity to not just nibble around the edges, but to take a really big, bold step to ensuring last mile broadband to every home and every small business uh in the state of north carolina and that's kind of the moment of time that we're in last week uh well a couple of weeks ago we saw the governor he rolled out his budget proposal for the arpa dollars included in that plan was 1.2 billion dollars for rural broadband And, and it was very comprehensive in what he proposed proposing not only addressing the infrastructure issue, but uh, addressing the issue of affordability that even in some places where the infrastructure uh, exists, not every family can afford uh, to have that service in their home. And third, uh, addressing what is still a digital literacy problem in that we have citizens that that don't understand the technology or the benefit of the technology. And we need to work on that. Um, And we need to help people get comfortable with the technology and the training that they need to get online and see the benefit and the change it can make in their life. Um, Then Mm -hmm. last week, we saw the the North Carolina House roll out uh, a proposal just for the infrastructure piece that totaled $750 million to all 100 counties um, uh, to build broadband infrastructure in unserved and underserved areas. And it passed the North Carolina House unanimously, not a single nay vote, which I think shows you the level of bipartisan commitment for this issue.
1: Well, one of the, you know, you mentioned, and this sort of crosses all sorts of things, but you mentioned the growth of some of the counties was dependent on retirees coming into the state. Yeah. And telemedicine, of course, will encourage them to live in the less, uh, uh, the areas that are less served by the major hospitals, because now with telemedicine, they have more and better access to medical care through telemedicine. Right. So that's not just for uh, poor and underserved uh, people in that area, but also for retirees and folks who live in those areas, generally speaking. They now have an access to health care that they could never have before.
2: That's right. And those, those individuals, those couples, those families that are making lifestyle choices about where they want to live, they're not, go- they're not going to go to a rural community that does not have broadband infrastructure. Um, and, and that is just a given. And, but we live post-COVID, families everywhere are going to be rethinking how they live their life. And some of them are choosing and voting with their feet and moving to less dense areas. And we're gonna see rural America benefit from that. And we're probably gonna see a slowing down of this trend toward urbanization that we've seen over the last 30, 40 years. I don't think it will will reverse, but I do think it will slow. And that's a great opportunity for many of our uh, rural communities particularly in a state like North Carolina that has so much to offer from the mountains to the coast, we can really benefit from that. But to take maximum advantage of it, we've got to make sure that last mile broadband is everywhere in this state.
1: The other area that we've been putting on for some time is uh, water and waste infrastructure. A lot of these towns and communities just simply didn't have the money to do it. And most of these systems are now uh, in many cases more than 100 years old, but they're yeah. all getting close to 100 years, and, you know, pipes and things wear out, and That's right. so uh, that would be a major problem, and, and yet now, through the this rescue plan and other action that Congress is looking at, there may be more money for water and waste infrastructure, which, again, will help growth.
2: Yeah, and and this is a huge issue facing many of our smallest rural towns and counties that own and operate water and sewer infrastructure. Uh, And they also have an opportunity that they haven't seen in a long time to figure out smarter, better ways of managing and operating that infrastructure. But a lot of them are just having to try to live with the hand they've been dealt a lot of that infrastructure was built for an economy that no longer exists, uh, that um, you know, they don't have the same water and sewer customer base that they used to have with big manufacturing employ, uh, employers or customers in virtually every uh, small town across the state, they're not there anymore. Um, And some of those towns and counties, as we've discussed, have lost population. They've actually lost customer base. So it's a very difficult hand that many of these smaller places are dealing with. Um, And uh, this and ARPA, along with uh, state investments, uh, the state of North Carolina invested in something called the Viable Utility Fund last year uh, through the state budget that is really a targeted solution for these smaller communities that need to right-size their infrastructure.
1: Any other areas of the American Rescue Plan Act that uh, we want to talk about and how they might, uh, any of the other areas that might affect the, uh, the counties that you are concerned with?
2: Yeah, one My other account. area, and it, it goes back to that issue of access to capital for small businesses. But one thing that um, the ARPA uh, does is it reauthorizes something called the State Small Business Credit Initiative, uh, which is a program of the US Treasury. Uh, the North Carolina Rural Center, um, it, the program was originally authorized after the Great Recession in 2011. And the North Carolina Rural Center for the past 10 years has deployed that program on behalf of the entire state of North Carolina. And we used about $46 million in federal funds to support small business lending. We have about 30 active bank partners across the state of North Carolina that use uh, the SSBCI programs that the Rural Center operates And and we're now recycling that $46 million for the third time. And it supported over a billion dollars in private uh, lending uh, to small businesses across the state of North Carolina. That program has now been reauthorized by ARPA. And North Carolina stands to get another $120 million that can be added to North Carolina's SSBCI program uh incredibly significant at an incredibly important time and i believe we we are really going to see uh the positive impact of that level of investment uh our banks uh particularly our community banks are really excited about that well
1: and congress is looking at more funds uh you want to comment on that
2: We are also, uh, Congress is looking, and and it's not at all clear where this is going to to land, but at a infrastructure package that would address a broad range of infrastructure issues, including transportation. Um, I recently served on a a DOT uh, task force that was looking at long-term North Carolina transportation funding, and we know that we're at a we're facing a losing population as our main way or a, a losing proposition our main way of funding transportation improvements in this state and dealing with the maintenance of bridges and highways um, is through the gas tax and every year the gas tax is losing ground
1: pick up with, uh, in the next segment and pick up on that Paul When we return with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers and our guest, Patrick Woody. We'll do that right after these messages.
2: Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do?
0: Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org.
2: What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards?
0: Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking you
1: questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best
0: friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis.
1: Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Patrick Woody. We've had a very interesting conversation about uh, what's going on in the 80 counties that are represented by the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center, an organization that is started and has its focus, helping those 80 counties to continue to grow and uh, uh, handle the problems of the 80 counties that are not quite growing as fast or as rapidly as the uh, other 20 counties that are in the uh, more metropolitan areas. One of the things, uh, Patrick, that I wanted to ask you about was population drain. I mean, you know, it's really hard when you've got all the advantages of living in the 20 counties that uh, are growing, as far as uh, hospitals and uh, uh, entertainment and, and things of that nature, uh, so uh, this this has, this population drain has to be a concern. Uh, the old song, "How are you gonna keep them down on the farm when they've seen Gay pay-free? uh How do you keep young people interested in returning home to these uh, these smaller counties, more isolated counties? Uh, it, what? Is there anything you can do along those lines to stem that uh, drain?
2: Yeah, there's a lot you can do. And I think there's a lot that we are learning how to do. Um, And a really key ingredient to it is the North Carolina community college system. And that's not to diminish the importance at all of our private colleges and universities or our, our public university system, which also does some incredible job. And I'll just point out that five of the public universities are rural you know, truly rural uh, universities within the UNC system. But those 58 community colleges are really geared toward training in in industry, in trades, in technical skills. Uh, A lot of them producing uh, uh, supporting industry and jobs that provide very good livable wages uh, to their employees. And I think one of the things that uh, unfortunately happened uh, with the loss of 350,000 manufacturing jobs is a lot of young people for a while got the message that, um, that manufacturing was a dead-end career. Uh, we've now seen net new manufacturing job creation over the last seven or eight years. Uh, we're seeing the increased importance of the trades uh, construction, electricity, plumbing, HVAC, all those kind of things, uh, welding jobs. Uh, we've got an electric electrical grid across this state and across the country that has to be modernized and is going to create some really good high paying job opportunities. Uh, so the community college system in a lot of ways, uh, is well positioned, uh, to, uh, help us address this problem of a brain drain. And what needs to happen at a local level is we need to get really focused on the job opportunities that are in our county, in our town, in our region, close by, that that do provide the opportunity for a really good life uh, and, and make sure the kids know about them. And we need to use our scholarship and our incentives that we have to encourage kids to train for a job that exists locally. We have medical deserts in rural areas across and dental deserts uh, in rural areas across the state where we need more doctors and dentists. Uh, There's no better solution than to uh, home grow a doctor or a dentist and, and educate them and give them an opportunity to come back to the community that they probably love. Um, And and serve that community won't be for everybody, but we can get much more intentional about connecting those dots for young people and and for the parents of young people uh, so that they can really understand the opportunities that do exist in their own backyard.
1: You know, we've got a number of these counties are on the coast, and uh, there's a lot of discussion about wind wind power. is that, uh, would that be an economic boom for some of those counties?
2: I think clean energy in general is um, a, a tremendous opportunity for rural America. And rural North Carolina is no exception. As we move to cleaner energy, um, we are inevitably going to see new industries grow up. Uh, and the nature of those industries, such as wind, solar, um, other types of, of, of clean energy really have implications for, for rural communities that are positive and incredibly significant. Uh, and that is an area that we need to be watching closely and prepared to take advantage of.
1: Well, uh, thank you very much for that update. Now I'm gonna to turn to another matter that I'm sure you are focusing on right now. The North Carolina General Assembly is in session and considering legislation what type of legislation is uh, uh, on the agenda of either the House or the Senate that, uh, that you're watching? And how would it affect these 80 counties that you serve?
2: Yeah, uh, so we're watching it very closely. We, it, it is shaping up to be a, 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 a session that we will feel very good about at the end of the day, I think. Uh, I've already mentioned the traction that the broadband issue has within the legislature. That it, That is incredibly significant, and I, and I feel really good about where we will end up at the end of session. Uh, we've felt very strongly for a number of years that one of the things we've got to figure out how to do in this state is to get more of our citizens covered by health insurance. And there's a conversation going on at the highest levels about the different ways in which we can accomplish that. And I'm hopeful that when we reach the end of the session that we will see um, legislation included uh, that will address and narrow that coverage gap. Uh, We we now have probably more than three quarters of a million families across North Carolina that do not have any kind of healthcare coverage and they're disproportionately rural people. And and that is uh, something we're very concerned about. And we're optimistic that there's at least uh, bipartisan conversations happening about how do we address that that problem. I mentioned our small business policy agenda has a lot of uh, traction in both houses of the General Assembly. Uh, There are also water and sewer legislation, uh, legislative bills that are moving and making their way Uh, through. We're waiting to see the budget roll out, and that'll happen in the coming weeks, and that'll tell us a lot about uh, where the session will end up, but I can tell you that from our perspective, also on housing, some indications that there's going to be uh, some really significant uh, increased investments in housing, and I don't know of a rural community, an urban or a suburban community, where housing is not a top concern, and and we're likely to see uh, investment in housing uh, that we haven't seen um, in in a long, long time in this state, um, and it it gives me reason to be optimistic about this moment in time and what the outcome might be when we get toward the middle of summer and we get toward a budget deal.
1: Say twelve months from right now, or maybe 14 months, we were all fearful that the state budget was going to be limited. But actually, the state's uh, resources turned out pretty well. The pandemic did not hurt the state budget nearly as much as we had. Uh, Well, it didn't help hurt it much at all. But we feared it was going to be a disaster. And so we're really lucky in that regard. Let me ask you about K-12, because that's a, uh, some of these counties are very small and have Small school systems, that's that's another problem of how it do you is. run a K-12 when you've got a small school system?
2: Yeah, and educate, well, and let me just say that when the Rural Center started and for the first 25 years of our existence, the thing that was, the thing we focused on was how are we doing from an educational attainment standpoint? And the measurement for many years was what is the high school graduation rate? And that's what we were really hyper-focused on. And today, what we understand and know about this world that we live in and how fast, how fast it changes and how rapidly technology is advancing, that you really need people, individuals that are committed to lifelong learning. And so the earlier that we can get kids into education, structured educational programming, the better they perform over their lifetime. And it affects their learning, uh, their earning capacity over their lifetimes. And we know that a high school diploma is no longer the measurement of success. We've got to work to get the percentage of our uh, adults uh, that have educational attainment beyond a high school diploma up significantly in order to meet the job demands um, of the future. That's a, that's a huge um, challenge to us. Um, and funding our K-12 system is incredibly important. Reaching into our K-12 system and preparing kids for, for real work in the real world, uh, in the places where they live, is a great opportunity um, that, we, that where we can do a better job.
1: And you alluded earlier to the importance of the community college system in uh, that uh, particular aspect as well, because uh, we, we are fortunate to have one of the best in the country.
2: Yes, we are. And the envy of much of the rest of the country and of countries around the world come to look at the North Carolina Community College system.
1: Well, it, it's one of our crown jewels and, and probably uh, can always stand some additional funding because of the uh, great impact it has on how we live and how it
2: affects uh, our lifestyle.
1: Any other legislation uh, before uh, the General Assembly that you're watching?
2: I think we've covered um, all of the really significant pieces. I'll mention one other bill that we have an interest in and it's a Truth in Small Business Lending Act. Um, as 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 you know, and probably most of our listeners knows, if you go to a bank and get a loan, there's complete transparency in what does the credit cost you over the life of the loan? Uh, but if you borrow from a non-regulated lender, uh, which may be nonprofit, may be uh, for-profit, may be online only, may not even have a presence in this state, we've seen some really egregious examples of, of predatory lending at a time after disaster during the pandemic when businesses and business owners are at their most vulnerable. And we support this new piece of legislation that's really focused on uh, just providing full transparency to the borrower uh, from non-regulated lenders so that the borrower knows what they're signing up for when they take a small business loan with, one, with a non-regulated lender.
1: Patrick, thank you very much for this update on what's happening. Patrick Woody, president of the North Carolina Rural Economic Development Center, has been our guest. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. Or if you would like to hear the two segments that you might have missed if you're listening to the half-hour version, you can also do the same thing. The program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another great guest for us again next week on the same group of stations. Till next week, have a good week, everybody.